Awesome. I appreciate it, Liz. Thank you very, very much. So I, I do have a question that has nothing to do in regards to the sermon series that we're kicking off today, but who's excited about Christmas? Just give me a show of hands. The rest of you who didn't raise your hands, shame on you. It's the time that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year, uh, so you guys will hear me talk about Christmas uh, and everything like that that comes uh, in just a few short weeks. I'm excited, uh, but before we get there, I need you guys to please turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, uh, we will be in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Today we're kicking off a brand new series uh, called Engage, uh, a series uh, that is going to challenge us as a church to embrace the journey of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple uh, of Jesus Christ? Now, um, for those of you who are in our discipleship class that's been going on the last several weeks downstairs, uh, you may hear certain phrases uh, or elements of that class come out over the course of this series, um, and so just bear with me as we go through this. Um, but I, I do want to start off um, by asking um, if anyone in here, um, you don't have to tell me what it is, but has anyone in here ever chased after a fad or a new trend that has occurred in your lifetime? You don't have to tell me what it is, um, but you've chased after some fad. Um, I remember when I was a child, um, there were many fads that had come out uh, throughout um, the 90s and into the 2000s um, that I just thought were absolutely awful. Um, some of them would be like the style of clothing that people would wear. Um, does anyone in here remember the brand Jinko jeans? Anybody? Yeah, they were terrible. Absolutely terrible. I was going to pull up pictures and didn't have time to get to it this week. Um, butterfly clips. Does anyone remember butterfly clips? Those things were awful as well. I never had to wear them, um, thank God, but uh, they were off. My sisters had them. Um, there were just so many Furbies. Anybody else remember Furbies? Those things were scary as all get out. Uh, yeah, so every year, every year, uh, we as a culture are inundated with new fads and new trends, new styles, new technology, new diets. There are new causes and new programs uh, that come out every single year. Now, without a doubt, we live in an age where being a, being a part of something is popular. It's something that every single person wants to do. Now, for this series, though, uh, instead of being a part of a fad or a trend, I'm going to use the terminology movement. A movement. Um, I don't want you to forget that word. You know, the concept of being a part of a movement is not foreign to us here in America. It, it, the, the sad thing, though, is where it breaks down. And when that movement no longer begins to move us, when we lose interest, when we lose excitement or enthusiasm, when our passion for whatever it is uh, begins to dissipate, it isn't long and we're looking for something else to join, something else to chase after, something else to be a part or have an aspect of our lives, another movement to move us. Now, we live in a society that is overly entrained has more activities and more conveniences, and yet we are the most bored culture in the world. 
You guys catch that? Like we have more than anybody else and we are the most bored culture in the world. In fact, according to statistics, many of the people in this room right now will no longer be paying attention to me in the next four to six minutes. There are probably some of you right now, according to statistics, who have already completely tuned me out. That's okay. But what if I was to tell you What if I was to tell you that God started a movement and that he wanted every single believer to be a part of it and that within this movement more can be accomplished and achieved than any other movement in the entire history of movements? The church is the only movement that really matters for eternity. The church is the only movement. You see, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think about the word church, but I would imagine for many of us, it's very different from how they understood it in the first century. Very, very different. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible, if you're not there, to the book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to read some verses here and and just kind of get a a very brief picture, and then we're going to dive in. So right out of the gate, it says in the first book um, of, oh, sorry, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day when he had taken, or he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Please do not forget that word. I want you to start, highlight it, do something to it in your Bible so that you never forget the word witnesses. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now in this place, Lord, and we ask that you would illuminate this passage of scripture. God, we ask that you would help, um, help us to align our heart with what your heartbeat is, and that's lost people. Uh, you, you came um, so, so that people could be saved and have a, a, right, a right standing relationship with the Father. And so, God, I'm asking of you in this place to, to use the Holy Spirit to impress upon our hearts what it means to engage with you and your word. May I just ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The church, at its very inception, was essentially a movement. It was a movement that was built around a conviction. And that conviction was that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, died as our Savior for all sinners, and that He rose from the grave three days later, and that He was the rightful Lord, and that all people everywhere would repent and see Him 
save them. That was the whole conviction of the early church. Now the thing that people get messed up here is where our English word church actually came from. The Greek word that we would see used all throughout the New Testament is the word ekklesia, which means a place of gathering or an assembly of people or a gathering of people around a specific idea. I'm going to say it again. It's a gathering or an assembly of people around a specific idea. That's what the word ecclesia means. It is actually a breakdown, though, of two Greek words put together to form that. It's the word ek, which means to be called out, and kaleo, which means um, out of something. And so the word ekklesia together is a gathering of people that are called out under a certain idea. Are you guys following me? Not if you got it. It's a gathering of people who are called out under a certain idea, the word ekklesia, church. Here's the sad part. The sad part is that um, over the years, terrible things have happened in churches. People started thinking of church as a place that you go for religious services. It's even sad that our English word church does not come from the Greek word ekklesia. It actually comes from the German word kirsch, which means a sacred place of gathering for religious purposes. We don't even use the, the, the right terminology for who we are and why we gather. The shift impacted churches over the last several centuries, even to this day, and it has caused people to fundamentally change how they relate to church. Instead of church being a movement that you were a part of, church became a place that you just attended. Sad. It became an institution in our culture, and it was a place that provided services for people, and it was controlled by the most powerful leaders who served their own interests. That's where the church went wrong. But I want to know, I want you to know, thank God for the reformers. Thank God for the reformers of the 15th century. Last Sunday, most people observed the day Halloween, but last Sunday was actually Reformation Day. It was the day in which Martin Luther left his faith in that moment to go and speak the truth where he took 95 theses and he, he pounded them onto the doors of the church to get people to understand the truths of the gospel. Do you know one of Martin Luther's close friends was another man by the name of William Tyndale. William Tyndale was the reason why we have an English version of the Bible. He was the first person to translate the Bible into modern English. Why? Because he believed the church was not an institution. He believed it was a movement. And he wanted people to know and understand the message of the church. You know, he devoted his entire life to translating the Bible into common English because he wanted people to know the church was not a place you went to, but a movement that you belonged to. You know that that infuriated the corrupt church leaders of that day. Do you know that in that moment of his life that he was convicted and tried as a heretic? Sad, he hung and burned at the stake for what he believed. But before he died, he was standing on trial and he said this, If God spares my life ere many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more scripture than you do. He threatened them with truth. And as he was burned alive, 
he cried out saying, Lord, open the eyes of England's king before he died. And if you have in your possession, as I, a copy of the King James Bible, you know the Lord answered his prayer. King James was the king who called him a heretic. It was King James who caused him to be burned alive. You know, the danger for the church in every age is that the church ceases to be a movement. And instead it becomes a ministry that provides services to people or a place that people attend. You know, movements move. And if you're a part of a movement, then you will be moving. So I have a question, church. I have a question, believer, Christian. Are we as a church just doing ministry? Are we just running an institution? Are we just attending service here on Sundays at 10.30 at the well? Or do you belong and are you part of a movement? You see, if we don't understand the church, if we don't understand the movement then we will never understand the mission. We will never understand the mission. The purpose of the movement. The purpose of the church is not for us to have a cool building. It's not for us to, to, to have the, the greatest music and the coolest lights and the most polished of programs or the most perfect of budgets. But the purpose of the church is to intentionally engage our culture by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, we, we've all heard in this room of the Great Commission. You guys heard Matthew, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Sadly, the church sees it as the Great Omission. The Great Omission. It's a thing that is left out. We as believers are commanded to make disciples. This is our purpose and our priority. However, if we do not have a passion for this, we need to figure out what is wrong in our lives Perhaps the reason that we lack the will and the desire to fulfill the mission or be a part of the movement and carry out the message is because we've not been captured by the greatest commandment. Do you know that Jesus said in his ministry in Matthew 22, before he even gave the great commission, he said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You know that Jesus was speaking right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He was speaking and rehearsing to the disciples something that they would have already known. And it's something called the Shema. It's something that they would have had to recite as they were leaving and coming into their house every single day from a small child until the day that they died. It was something that they should have ingrained within them that she loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God. Jesus was, was exhorting and pushing believers that if we really love God, then there will be a desire for us to love other people. we really love God, we will want to introduce people to the love of our life. 
Why? Because when we love God, we will want to share the joyous news with those that we come in contact with. Because a love for God always results in a love for other people. Do you know that your relationships horizontally here on this earth will never be right if you don't have a right, a right relationship vertically with the Father? You cannot love people well here on this earth. You cannot love your spouse or your children or your grandkids or your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your co-workers. You cannot love them well if you don't have a right relationship with God. That's what the Bible teaches us. When you look at this text, though, I want you to see something fascinating. I want you to go back with me to verse number 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And I want us to stop right there for just a moment. The men here in this passage, church, believers, we were called to be witnesses. It is a term that is used in the courtroom setting. A witness testifies about something that they have seen. It's not something that you do, but rather something that you declare to be true. A witness is one who gives testimony of something that took place, something that happened so rooted in the greatest commandment in the Bible and connected to the Great Commission is the fact that we see where the church and the movement began to be witnesses to something. Our mission here, church, is to be witnesses to lost and hurting people. We learned last series for the last two months that you can find hope in the midst of hopelessness. There are people who are living here in our community, in our circles of influence, in our jobs that don't have hope. They're looking for hope, and your job is to be a witness of the hope that has been given to you. That would have been a great spot for an amen. amen. Church, you've been given something so precious. Do you know that I, as your pastor, cannot reach every single person in this community by myself? It's impossible. It is physically impossible for me to share the gospel alone. Our discipleship class that's in its third week um, was, was hearing um, by a buddy of mine who is a pastor. and He said that most churches, most people leave the work of the Great Commission to the pastor because they believe it's the pastor's job to do it. We learn and know from Scripture, especially in Ephesians chapter 4, but more in Matthew 28, that the Great Commission was given to any person who says that I follow Christ. Not just the pastor, not just the, the paid church leader. Any person who follows Christ is to be a disciple maker. A disciple maker. Someone who speaks truth, invests life into another person. There's a point here, though. As we look at this passage of Scripture, as we hear about this movement, where it started, as we hear what the mission is, what the charge and the command is of God, there is a question that raises in my mind every single time. Why on earth would a group of fishermen and carpenters and tax collectors be willing to leave their livelihood for the Great Commission, to make disciples? Why? 
Why? What happened to them? What caused them to, as the Bible say, turn the world upside down? Well, church, the first thing I need us to see is that they were gripped by the message. They were gripped by the message. These men were totally captured by the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus was their Lord and their Savior. They believed in him because they saw that he was risen from the dead. These men looked at Jesus. They saw him die and they thought that it was all over to the point of where Peter and a few others went back to being fishermen. But when they saw Jesus on the shore making breakfast for them, what did they do? It says that Peter rent his coat. He ripped off his clothing, jumped out of the boat and swam to get to Jesus. He couldn't believe his eyes. And what happens? There's an exchange with Jesus and Peter. And Jesus asks Peter over and over and over again, do you love me? And when Peter replies, yes, does anyone remember what he says? Feed my sheep. Over and over again, there's this conversation that is occurring between Jesus and Peter after the resurrection occurred. And guess what happens? They saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. They were witnesses. They were witnesses to what had occurred. These men experienced the grace of God. They had hardened hearts, but they were completely changed by a resurrected Christ. These men knew there was no other way. These men knew there was no other Savior. There was no other God who was worthy to be praised. So they worshipped. And by their worship, they gave their lives. They were so changed. They were so captivated by Christ that even after they were told that they were going to be beaten and punished. Just a few chapters after Acts 1 and Acts chapter 5, they replied back to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they said, we are his witnesses and we cannot help but to declare the truth of God. Do you know, church, one of the apostles Followers of Jesus Christ um, by the name of James. He was so gripped by the message of Jesus Christ that he was thrown off of a temple tower at the age of 94. He was thrown over the edge of a tower. And when he got to the bottom, he was not dead. And so the religious leaders had him clubbed to death so that he would not live anymore. Matthew Matthew was axed to death because he loved Christ, because he spoke truth. Thomas was lanced by spears, by priests, no matter, and then burned in an oven. Bartholomew was beaten and flayed and then crucified what little life he had left. Philip crucified on a cross. John, John is the only one that lived John was thrown into boiling oil and left unharmed and died of natural causes after he was exiled to an island alone. James, the other James, was beheaded by a sword. Andrew was scourged. He was tied by ropes on an X-shaped cross where he hung for two days. Peter crucified upside down because he thought himself unworthy to die the same way that Christ did. 
These men were so gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ that they gave their life to torture. And we get uncomfortable when the AC doesn't work. I have a question for you this morning. Have you been so gripped by the message of the gospel that you can't shut up about it? One of my favorite prophets from the Old Testament, Jeremiah, said it was like a fire that was shut up in my bones. I I had to make the world know what I knew of God. And he didn't even get an opportunity to walk with Jesus. Are we willing church to be his witness to go anywhere to tell anyone are we willing to give up anything so that others may know Jesus Christ are you a part of a movement are you are you moving towards people with the message of the gospel are you a witness to the change that Christ has made in you I want you to write something down, church, and I don't want you to ever forget it. If the gospel has not changed you, then the gospel has not saved you. Mess with your theology a little bit. If the gospel has not changed you, then it has not saved you. Do you know that there are three elements to our life that change when, we, when we've been saved the first, the first thing the gospel changes in a, in a person is their disposition. Their disposition. Your talking, your actions, your attitude. What makes the message of the gospel believable is a life that backs it up. A life that backs it up. Do you know a life that is adorned with love and grace and holiness and kindness and care and compassion is believable? Our life and our living should beautify our beliefs. It should beautify our beliefs and our living should make what we say believable. You know, it's hard to tell people about Jesus if he isn't working for you. So your disposition changes. The second thing is your direction. Your direction changes. Your life will always follow your thinking. I tell people this all the time in counseling. What you think on is what, what's going to come out of your life. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. That's why Solomon said that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What you think on will be what you follow. When Jesus changes you, what you pursue and what you're passionate about will change. Because the direction of your life is not after the things of the world, but after the things of the kingdom. You know, Jesus said in Matthew, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it says, then all of these things will be given unto you. But seek the kingdom and righteousness. The kingdom and righteousness. And then these things will be given to you. How many, how many people in here um, have ever heard of a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer? He was, a, he was a German preacher, author, theologian. He, um, he was also someone who uh, spoke actively against Nazi Germany. 
He was a man who was imprisoned uh, for his faith in Christ. Um, And he wrote a book before his death called The High Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he says that when Christ bids a man to follow, he bids a man to come and die. I would, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to read the book, The High Cost of Discipleship by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Get it. I want you to, to let your mind be saturated in the life of a man who knew what it meant to follow Christ in the moments of persecution. When Christ bids a man to follow, he bids a man to come and die. You know that following Jesus will eventually lead you to others who are in need of Jesus? And it's only by dying to ourself every day and following Christ that our direction in life can change. So you should ask yourself this morning, the question that I've been asking myself for the last week, what direction is my life headed? What direction is my life headed? Am I moving towards the things of God and towards people who are in need of him? So your direction, your disposition, and the last thing that changes is your declaration. Your declaration. You can tell a whole lot about a person by listening to what they talk about. By listening to what they talk about. It does not take long to recognize what somebody thinks or sees in their life as being of high value. But I think I'm just going to let Spurgeon cover this one. Charles Spurgeon said this, that if Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself. You will be whispering it in your child's ear. You will be telling your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charm of eloquence, your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love. You know, here's the reality, church. If you really have been changed and captivated by the gospel and you've been gripped by the message, you probably don't need a a missions emphasis month. You don't need a month in the year where the church gathers to talk about missions work. Do you know that the early church never had missions conferences? They never gathered together in a building to say, hey, don't forget what the Great Commission is about. They never gathered together in a facility to call people to the altar to pray over who they're going to go and connect the gospel with next. They didn't gather together to pray over who was going to give money to the next person that was going to be sent out overseas because they were called there. They were gripped. So gripped by the message of the gospel, that they gave their lives to it, beaten, suffering, dealing hardships that we will never know anything of here in our culture. I don't think anyone in the Bible lacked motivation to share the gospel. The early church's mission was not a program that required special meetings to motivate people. Why? Why, church? Because missions is not a program of the church. It's the whole reason the church exists. The mission of the church is not a program, but it's the whole reason that we exist as a body of believers. There's a man by the name of Tom Rainer. 
um, and another man by the name of Ed Stetzer. They wrote a book about churches here in the United States several years back. And through current statistics and interviews, they detailed and described the mindset of most Christians and how they view church. They talk clearly about how most believers don't even see themselves as missionaries. And they don't see the church as a rescue mission for lost souls, but rather a resource to be used. They interviewed 7,000 churches. And they concluded this at the end of their study. They said that they found that the majority of churches are unengaged in meaningful ministry and missions. And they gave a quote near the end of the book that said this, Christians will always come for a show, but they will never show up to serve. Christians will always come for a show, but they will not show up to serve. It speaks to where people's heart, what they value in them. Church Churches that are not excited about the gospel are not going to be motivated to get involved in telling people about Jesus Christ. This month, this this month where we talk about being engaged in the journey of discipleship is not a month that I'm going to use to motivate But it's a month to challenge your belief. A month to challenge your belief. Because if we really believe in the gospel, if we are gripped by the message, if if we are captured, if we are convicted by Christ, then we will want to be a part of the movement. We will be excited about engaging in what the Bible commands of us to do. Do you know there is no such thing as a person who believes in the gospel and then never goes after and engages people with it? You can't have that. You can't say that I love the gospel and then never tell people about it. That means you don't love the gospel. That means you don't love Jesus Christ. Why am I telling you this? Not to condemn you in this place, church, but I'm trying to help you to understand that this month is not to motivate you to be better Christians. It's to challenge what you believe about the Word of God. And if you believe in the Jesus Christ that is preached from this Bible every single Sunday, then your belief will stand that I am ready to go and take the gospel out into my community, into my city, into my workplace, into my family. I'm ready to use the gospel for the good that was placed there for us church church when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody when was the last time you told somebody else about the hope that you have in you we sit here and we want to argue all day long about whether or not apologetics should be taught in a church or how or how are we going to defend this against this and how listen there nowhere in this bible are we taught that we are to argue our faith not a single place is the word apologetics used in this book right here but we are commanded to have an answer of why we have hope and if we can't even tell people about the gospel then are we truly even living the gospel and if we're not living the gospel then do you really love Christ do you really every saved person 
this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. I'm going to say it again. Every saved person this side of heaven, meaning every person who's been saved and you're still alive, you owe the gospel to every saved or unsaved person this side of hell. You owe the gospel to them. You know, the sad reality is if the apostles and disciples were standing here in the modern day church, they would be thoroughly disappointed in what they see. They would be saddened to know the way that our church, our churches, I'm talking about, I'm talking about the capital C church here. Do you know right here on Main Street alone, there are four churches just right here in this little stretch. You go one street over and there are three churches. Right behind us, there are three churches. Do you know that the average attendance in the other churches outside of us in Restore is 12? 12 people. There are lost and hurting people here in this community. There are people that have no hope. They're running to drugs and to alcohol. Our community has seen an increase. According to City Hall next door, there's been an increase in drug and alcohol addiction over the last 18 months here in our community. It's not just because people are getting out of prison. It's because people are running to try and find comfort in something to ease the pain. We have had more alcohol and drug-related deaths in the last 18 months than what this community has seen in the last 15 years. People are lost and they're hurting. Church, are we a part of the movement? Moving towards people who are in need of the gospel? Are you just coming here to to attend and get ministered to? Or are you actively engaging? The fact is, is that church doesn't really need to develop some new evangelistic program. We have a blueprint right here. And so often the church fails to to, to, to use the blueprint that was given. We try to come up with uh, these glamorous and glitzy phrases to use to get people to follow the gospel when shoot, it's right here. Our strategy and plan as a church is to be impacted by the gospel in our own life so in turn we take it outside of these four walls. My my goal here is not to hoard all the peeps in this building. My goal here is not to have the biggest church with all the coolest things. Christ brought me here for purpose. And that purpose was to, to share the truths of this book to help us to understand what it means to be a gospel centered church. 
and I will stand here at this pulpit and I will preach the gospel to this church, whether there's a billion people in this room or there's only myself and one other person. The gospel needs to go forth from our buildings. It doesn't need to be hoarded. It doesn't need to be to bring people in here. The gospel is so that God's kingdom grows. The gospel is that it was not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So I have a challenge for you this morning, church. The challenge for you this morning is this. Who is your one? Who is your one person? Who is your one family? Your one friend? Your one co-worker? That you can be asking God to give you the strength to impact their life with the gospel. Who is that one person? It all starts with us right here in this room saying, I'm ready to join the movement. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm ready to move towards people with hope. I'm ready to, to, to evangelize and disciple other people. I'm ready to, to share life with them. I'm ready to engage in the mission. I'm ready to bring people along so that they know the hope that I have. So church, who's your one? Who's your one? There were cards that were placed kind of scattered throughout the, the worship center. I want you to grab that. It's a green card and at the top it says, who's your one? There's some up here. This is, what I, this is what I want from you. I'm asking of you to write that individual's name on that card. Write that family name on that card. The person that you want to impact with the gospel. Guys, I'm going to ask here in just a moment if we could possibly play some light music um, here in just a second. Don't start it just yet. Who is your one? I want you to write that name down on that card. I don't want you to fold it up. I don't want you. What I'm going to ask of you here in just a moment, for those of you who are ready to engage, ready to move with the movement, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seats. I'm going to ask you to come right down here to the altar. I'm going to ask you to place that card on the altar and spend a few moments praying over that person. As soon as you're ready, you can get out of your seats. We can go ahead and cue that music whenever you're ready up there. I want you to write that name down. And if you are physically capable, I want you to get out of your seats. And I want you to bring that card here to the altar. I want you to pray. Pray for strength. Pray for courage and boldness. Pray for that person to have a softened heart. Pray for your one. Who's your one? And when you're done, you can go back, back to your seat. And I would, I would encourage you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a few moments. But I want you to leave your cards here because I want to pray with you. I want to pray alongside of you for the names that are on these cards.
God, we come to you. We come to you in this place. And we ask of you, God, to help help us keep the gospel central in our lives. Give us strength and courage to, to walk in truth, to be children of light. God, help us not to, to follow the path that, that we were on prior to you. The, the, the path that Paul talks about as us being children of wrath. God, I pray that you would keep us out of the darkness, that you, you would in, 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 in us convict us to, to do what is right, to speak truth, to be bold in that, that we would share hope, that God, we would, we would let love be genuine, as Romans tells us, that we would abhor what is evil. That God, we, we would bear with the burdens of others. That we would put on love and, and patience. That we would have the same mind in us that was also in Christ. That we would, we would press towards the mark God, all things that your word tells us, commands of us to do, God, help us, help us to love you first. Help us to lay aside the idols in our lives. Help us to understand truth so that we can be disciple makers, that, that we can point people to you. So that you're glorified and you're magnified in, the, in our churches, in this community. God, I'm, I'm praying for radical life change to happen with people here in Ionia. Praying for radical life change with our city and our community leaders. God, I'm praying that people would turn to you. That we, that we would not turn to substances, that we would not turn to human, God, but we would turn to you. God, I'm asking for our churches to be a beacon of hope here in this community. Not just this church, but all of our churches. God, that people would be pointing people back to you. God, I'm thankful for, uh, for our church here. And the way that you stir in our hearts and lives. And God, I, I pray that, that we would be faithful to going after our one. Or our two and our three and our four. God, that we, we would be praying for these, these names here that are on spread out all across the altar here. God, I'm asking you to continue to do life change here and in through us for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thank you, church, for being with us this morning.